This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, We want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds with Sarah interviewing Tanisha Warner about 90-day goals and how we can have a concentrated push for achieving the big things we want to do. So Sarah, have you ever done any 90-day goals? I don't think I've used that particular structure that often, but I love the idea of it. Actually, when I thought back into when I've ever made like a very specific plan for about a three-month time period, the only thing that came to mind was board prep. Because when you're studying for your US medical boards and there's there's step one and there's step two, there's also step three, but step three does not involve that much studying. Anyway, it's like months long of just doing practice questions and studying and you have to be very structured and strategic about it. And I definitely was both times. Like I literally had like a schedule every single, and many med schools actually give you time off to do that. And you could certainly waste that time or you could be like crazy and have a very structured schedule and, um, or not crazy, but you know what I mean? Anyway, I was very intense with that. It paid off. I got great scores that I used to go into a very non-competitive field. So I don't know why I spent all that time, but it worked out really well anyway. And 
yeah, I'm glad I did it. And it showed me that you can do something like that in like a really big push in a structured way. I guess marathon training, but that's usually, I mean, it's not like your whole day. So it doesn't feel quite as much like, like a 90 day push. Yeah, but I mean, you could still have a 90 day push that involves an hour a day. I mean, and many things might be even more doable if that's the uh, requirement you give for yourself. Uh, yeah, no, I was thinking about this too. And I was sort of like, oh, I don't know if I've done a 90 day push. But of course, for years, I set the quarterly goals, right? You know, that um, each quarter I have a, another goal. And some of them are just sort of one offs, like do mommy days with three kids. And, you know, that's not going to involve something all 90 days. But certain other things, like I wrote the draft of Tranquility by Tuesday in roughly 90 days over the summer. I had a schedule of a chapter a week with some time off for vacations and did, in fact, get the thing done. You know, I've done National Novel Writing Month a few times. That's an even shorter push. But you, you know, commit to getting the novel written in 30 days. But obviously, giving yourself 90 days would have allowed for a little more leeway. So, you know, I love the idea. I certainly think that 90 days is a, you know, it's got a lot going for it. It is close enough to see the finish line. Like it's not, you know, 10 years from now, which is which is hard to get your head around. But on the other hand, it is long enough to make significant progress on a great many things. I mean, you know, you can you can do a lot in 90 days. So I'm a big fan of the concept. Can't wait to hear what she has to say. All right, well, let's go to the interview then. Well, I am so excited to welcome Tanisha Jackson Warner on this show. I was so inspired when I read about her 90-day program and how she's gotten into a major career pivot. She runs a big marketing company, which she can tell us a little bit more about because I'm sure I just described her position poorly. But yes, welcome, Tanisha. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Hi, Sarah. I am so excited to be here. I truly appreciate your energy, especially at the end of the day. You have a very nice, calm... You're going to have to share your secret with our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I try. I can't tell you I'm calm all the time, but I try. (laughs) I love it. Well, tell everybody a little bit about your work origin story, because you yourself underwent, I think, a big career pivot and then use some of that learning to really help others and, and bring forth the company that you now run. So... Tell us a little bit about your journey. So my journey, I can't believe it, Sarah, but when I think back, my journey started almost two decades ago. Can you believe that? (laughs) Not the part from the way you look, so no. (laughs) (laughs) And basically, here's the thing you need to know. When I graduated college, I chose a career path based on earning potential. So I went into tech. I was working with IBM Global Services. I was there for a number of years climbing the corporate ladder, right? And although it looked like success from the outside, there was one big problem. In the inside, I realized that I wasn't fulfilled, that I basically chose a career on earning potential with little to no regard for passion or purpose. So that was like my big aha moment of, hey, your big decision and driving force around this major decision is solely based on earning potential. What about passion? What about purpose? And I made a promise to myself that I was willing to redesign a life. I'm going to say a life because it just wasn't professional. It was professional and purpose, but redesign a life based on purpose. and that started me on the, the the pivot of leaving my corporate job. That was not a big 
popular decision with my grandmother who felt like I had a great, good, good, good job. (laughs) But I took a leap of faith. I stretched and uh, I redesigned the path based on passion and purpose. That must have been such a scary jump to take. So how long had you been in the corporate world and what was your process? Did you have a plan when you left or was it just sort of like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to find myself and just see what happens. What was that like? Okay. The process went from first being connected enough to myself to realize that I wasn't fulfilled, that something was missing. And I, I like to stop there because it's so easy for us to be on a cycle where we're not spending time with what I call the dreamer in the mirror to determine if the path that you're on, if it's really working for you. So I think that was step one. Step two, once I was able to admit that to myself, then I almost treated myself like a project. And my question was, well, if you're not passionate about this, what are you passionate about? I got a journal and I just started to jot down everything that made my heart sort of beat fast. I didn't challenge myself to make it make sense, but I knew I was passionate about fashion. I knew I was passionate about my community. I knew I was passionate about different cultural trends. I just really wrote down all of these different areas that I was passionate. Once that list was there, again, I didn't try to make it make sense, but once the list was there, I started researching careers in those passion buckets. And I mean, it was almost like a job within itself. And if I found something that was interesting to me, I would actually reach out to people and say, hey, I noticed that you're doing this. Would you mind doing a 20 minute informational interview with me to learn about this particular role or project? I did that a while. I met so many different types of people. I also in this phase said, "Hmm, I am going to be willing to volunteer to like really get my feet wet in some of these areas without making the full leap. So I volunteered on a movie set because entertainment was one of the things that I liked. I volunteered in the fashion department. I realized I like fashion, but I like doing fashion for me and not others. So I checked that off (laughs) and I just continued to volunteer. And I eventually got an opportunity to volunteer at Rush Communications. This was a company led by Kimora Simmons and Russell Simmons. And this company was like in the heart of hip hop culture, entertainment, pop culture. And that's when I said, this is it. Like, I want to be in this area. And that's a, a long story. There was nothing traditional about my decision because eventually I left my paying corporate job and started working at this company in a volunteer basis full time. Now, that type of radical leap People don't really talk about that anymore. But at the time I was young, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities and I was willing to do it. That paid off for me. Within one year of volunteering, I became the general manager of that company. And from there, you know, I I did that for a number of years and later ventured out and started Igami Group. And Igami Group is a New York based multicultural marketing firm. And Sarah, the funny thing about it, if you look at our core pillars, It includes community, culture, and causes like societal issues impacting community. All of those things are a part of the little drawing that I did two decades ago when I said, what are you passionate about? And so it was just a journey that unfolded. 
That is such a beautiful story. I'm so struck by how like systematic you were because the truth is so many of us just do kind of fall into like their default careers and like either it fits or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I've talked a little bit about like career crafting, like how can you like kind of maximize the aspects of your job that you love? But you were just like, nope, starting from scratch. Area one, area two, area three. And most of us never get to do that as adults. But I think that's, is that part of kind of like the whole dream process that you kind of recommend for others who kind of find themselves in a position that may be less meaningful for them? Absolutely. So I want you to know when I did this process, I didn't even know it was a process. I was just doing, right? But two decades later, (laughs) in an attempt to inspire other dreamers, I kind of took a step back and said, what were the steps and processes that you went through in bringing your dream to life? And not only did I think about it from my lens, but I interviewed 200 iconic dreamers and I found this sort of universal truth that I packaged in the big stretch as a dreamer's blueprint. And it's broken down into four phases. Phase one, it's all about dreaming. Phase two is getting comfortable with designing a path and plan to bring that dream to life. Phase three is getting you comfortable with daring moves. It's called dare that you're going to have to take in the name of that dream. And last but not least, really preparing you to do the dream for the long term. Which of those steps do you think is the hardest? (laughs) Oh, man. So you know what? It varies depending upon the dreamer that I'm working with. So I can't say it's a cookie cutter answer. You know, for some people, phase one in the dream stage, it's very hard for them to imagine beyond what they think think is possible based on what they can see. My mom is horrible at that, horrible. Like she'll say a dream and then she'll say, oh no, I can't do that because I don't know how that's going to work out. So let me scratch that. And I always say, mom, you think about how to prematurely. I want to like get her muscles up and like dream without limits just for a minute. We're going to get to the plan. So for somebody like my mom, who's very methodical and like she has to see it, the dream phase is challenging for her. But for others that are really creative, they can kind of live in the dream phase. I've found others where if you are not a high risk taker, that dare phase can be challenging. Like you're asking me to take this leap or put myself out there or go beyond my comfort zone. That's an area where for some, that's the most challenging. So your dream journey is as unique as you are. I think you will have to answer that question based on who you are, on which phase is the most challenging. For me, I just don't have a problem taking big daring moves. I don't. So that's like an easy phase for me. But design and like mapping out the plan, that's a phase that I probably kind of try to skip over as a visionary. Like I want to throw the big idea out there, but I don't necessarily want to think through every detail of the how. So, you know, it it varies depending upon you know, you and your unique interests. I feel like every CEO or somebody who has their own company, they always say that. They're like, no, no, I'm the one who's 10 steps ahead. That it reminds me so much of of somebody I know. So that's really funny. What would you say to people who are like, well, your career doesn't have to be your passion. If you have a good job and like you can kind of find purpose in other areas of life, is that good enough? Does your career have to answer to your passions? Oh, I am loving this conversation. So 
inside of the big stretch, there are different dreamer types that I define. And Sarah, I define these dreamer types because of this exact question that you just asked. We used to do this big conference in Atlanta called the Dream Project. And I would sometimes have people come to me at the end of the conference to say, this was wonderful, but I don't know if it was for me because I don't think I am meant to be an entrepreneur. And so what I noticed is that there wasn't a one size fits all in how you approach living a life of purpose and passion by way of your dreams. So here's some of the various dreamers types. The first one is a careerpreneur. So a careerpreneur is someone who, for them, it's very important that they are able to align their profession and passion. So they want to work for places where there is intersectionality between the two and they can map purpose in what they're doing day to day. I also have some dreamers that they're like, you know what? I can go to the job. I can make a check and it does not have to be in my passion field. <laughs> I have a good friend. Her name is Christina Todd. And what we define for her, she is what I call a hobby dreamer. She works a job, right? And that job provides her an amazing lifestyle, but she doesn't necessarily put the responsibility on her job to fulfill all of her passion. So she has a passion of travel, of fitness, as well as culinary. She created a blog to like really fulfill that area. And the blog took off and she's now an influencer, but she is what I call a hobby dreamer. This is someone who doesn't want to put the pressure on their career, but they want to nurture the hobbies and get fulfillment in that way. Another one is what I call a make it happen dreamer. And this is someone high risk taker. They don't necessarily do extremely well in structured environments. They like making their own rules. These are individuals that they were just born to be entrepreneurs, right? My husband is one of those people. He was just born to work for himself. He is what I call a make it happen dreamer. And then the last one is a CEO dreamer. This is someone who's worked in corporate for a while, but they know that one day I want to venture out and determine if I could do this on my own. And so they're able to take all of their skills from their previous you know, corporate job and then harness that to one day start their own. And the last one is what I call an activist dreamer. This is someone who will see a problem in the world and they want to dedicate their life and their mission to being a part of the solution of that problem. These are individuals that are leading movements. They are running nonprofits. And for them, they need that fulfillment of, I am addressing a problem in the world by way of my career. And usually, again, they're okay with being nonprofit leaders or they are team members on nonprofits. So those are the five different dreamer types that I identified in my study of interviewing all of these various dreamers. And the big thing that the takeaway is the point that you said, Sarah, there isn't a one size fits all. That is great. So no one can be left out. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily have one script. You have to leave it behind and start something new. That's not exactly where your passions lie. I think I may be a hobby dreamer personally, but I have to reflect on that. That's super interesting. I want to pivot and learn. Oh, go ahead. I do want to say there is an assessment. So all the listeners that are checking this out, you can go to the bigstretchbook.com and take the dreamers profile assessment. 
to learn what type of dreamer you are. And it's available, like it's, it's there. So if you go, you can find out what type of dreamer you are right now. Excellent. I'm totally going to do it. We're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back with some more questions for Tanisha. Okay. So I had a question about the 90 day stretch concept. In the intro to this episode, Laura and I were talking about like 90 days. It's like a very nice chunk of time. Like I think people underestimate what they can do in 90 days, but it's also a manageable amount of time. It doesn't feel like, okay, you're committing to something for a year. Talk to me about about the 90 day process that you have developed. And it is, I think, part of the framework of your book that came out recently. I'm just curious, what have some people been able to accomplished in that 90 days? And why did you choose that as the time frame? So a couple things. The path that I use in the book, it one, I start you from a very, very high level creative space to allow you the opportunity to imagine and get in contact with your big, big dream, your vision. And it's kind of out there. The book then moves you through a process to define what part of that dream can you do this year? So we just entered FY 2022. So I'll give you an example here. It always works better if I show an example. Say it's someone who has always wanted to essentially be an author, right? And maybe that's a part of their big, big dream. I then challenge them to say, what part of that vision and how can you bring that to life over the next year? So we first start from a one-year perspective. And it's part imagination, but also starting to drop them into a plan to paint a picture. And that's where I challenge you to kind of be very specific. January of 2023, what elements do you want to have accomplished as it relates to your dream? And with that, I'm always challenging you to make sure that it's measurable. So in the case of this wannabe author, maybe they say in one year, I'll have the book proposal written. And I will pitch it to, you know, several people and I will have a book deal. Maybe that is like the one year vision that ladders back to the big dream of becoming an author. From that part, I then challenge them to say, if that is the goal over the 12 month period, let's break that down into an actionable plan of what we need to accomplish over 90 days. And the 90 day number is significant for several reasons. Number one, majority of Fortune 100 companies, they are running their companies on a 90-day basis, looking at it from a very quarter perspective. 90 days gives you the perfect amount of time that you can gain traction to feel good. You can really start to knock out you know, chunks of what you need to be doing, but you are not so far into the 12-month journey that you can't assess if you need to pivot or bring in new strategies. So that is the why behind the 90-day. So once you get in the 90-day period, I challenge you to define goals that you will hold yourself accountable to over the next 90 days. And you need to see how those goals map to the 12-month, one-year dream projection. So in the case of the author, the example that I'm using, over the next 90 days, that author could potentially say, 
I will have the book proposal. I'm not going to say written, but let's say I will research the book proposal format and I will select a format that I'm going to use and I will have written 50% of my book proposal. That is what I need to have done if I know 12 months from now, I ultimately want to secure a book deal. So it forces the dreamer to take the big creative idea, put some structure and accountability from a one-year dream projection, but then narrow that down on a 90-day basis is really the idea behind the plan. And, and I have tools and templates, again, available to support dreamers and kind of going through that process. I like the 90 days. I think it's just somehow more, it's so much easier for us to really think about. I mean, right now we're recording this, it's January. I can think about April and be realistic, like, okay, I want to get X done by April. And it's much, much less intimidating and more concrete than what do I want to have done by like January 2023, which seems like a world away from this juncture, even though obviously it's not really. Yes. I'm actually in the process right now doing it at a personal level as well as a professional level. What does that look like on the personal level? So do people set 90-day goals with like relationships and with health and that kind of a thing? Is that, do you recommend specific realms or does it kind of depend on where you are in life at a given point? Well, it depends on where you are and what area of life you think you want to focus in. I've had dreamers do different approaches where you could actually set a vision for yourself in each area of life. Like what is your vision for relationships? What is your vision in your profession? What is your vision in your finances? And what is your vision in terms of mind, body, and spirit? And you kind of, I I have it in like four quadrants and you can have a vision in those quadrants and then think about goals in each of those quadrants over 2022 as we lead into 2023. That's one approach. And that's like for the overachievers. However, (laughs) I've also found when you try to do too many things at one time, you can easily end the year and you haven't done really anything in any area. Great. It is okay for you to say, you know what, this year I'm going to only focus on one quadrant or I'm going to focus on two quadrants and the others, you're going to be like on autopilot, but this is where I'm going to lean in to try to achieve, you know, high results. I have learned (laughs) that approach works best for me for the greatest impact. So for 2021, personally, my theme was journey to hold. And it was a bit of a stretch for me because it's easier for me to achieve professional goals. As you can tell, I, I, you know, I spend a lot of passion in the work profession place. But because of that, I have sacrificed in the personal area of journey to hold. So last year, what that looked like for me was doing a surgery that I put off for a very long time. It was losing X amount of pounds, which I don't mind telling you, but I gained so many in the pandemic, (laughs) but I wanted to at least lose 20 of my pandemic pounds. And then I also wanted to really learn about nutrition so that I could make a lifestyle change. Those were my tangible annual goals in part. That was my vision and my dream for myself personally. And then I worked that every single week over week, you know, in 2021. And now I have the tangible results in that area of life. That's amazing. I love it that you made your focus, even though you're inclined to be a work 
person that you had another focus because you just felt like that needed attention. That totally makes sense. Let's talk about time tracking because I remember, I think one of the things that got me so excited to have you on was that you are passionate about looking at how your time is spent and tracking it. And everyone who listens to this show knows that so is Laura. I very much struggle with that personally, for whatever reason, I'll like track time for a day. And then I'm like, oh, I, just, I just lost track. I don't know. So tell me about your style, how you do it, whether it's something you do continuously and what you tend to get out of it. Well, so many times I will hear from a dreamer, you know, I want to do this, but I simply do not have the time. You know, I've heard I'm a working mother. I'm working a full-time job. Where would I possibly have the time to also work parallel on my dream path? So this time tracker was really about supporting the reader and the dreamer in becoming aware of how you're spending your time. Because if the dream and vision is important, what are you willing to give up and or shift in the name of the dream, right? So many times it's almost like finances. If you're not paying attention to the reconcile budget of your statements, you know, do you really know I'm spending 30% on mortgage? I'm spending 10% on entertainment. If you're not doing the analysis of your finances, you really aren't knowledgeable of how you're spending. Well, it's the same thing. So the first thing is an audit of your time that I have you do. And there's a worksheet where I have you document how you're spending your time over a seven day period. Sometimes in order to identify patterns, you may need to keep that audit up for two weeks or a month you have to kind of answer what's going to be the right period. I wouldn't recommend necessarily going over a month though. But after that, take a step back and analyze how and where am I spending my time? And you may find out that, wow, I had no idea. I am spending you know, 20% of my time in a week binge watching Netflix. And that might be good for your soul, right? <laughs> And if you are doing that, it's not about guilting yourself. It's just about you becoming very aware so that you know, here are my options. And then once you can see how you're spending the time, I am challenging you to say, where can you reclaim your time? One mechanism could be, is there an area where you're spending time where if you were to outsource or bring in a partner, you buy yourself certain time back? I'll never forget when I had my big aha, I would talk to my mom about this all the time. Oh my God, I spent the whole weekend folding clothes, and putting away clothes. I, I know for somebody, they may be like, oh my God, is she really talking about this? But this was like, I spent so much time because I'm such a neat freak, right? And my mom said to me like, get someone else to do it already. Like, gosh, did you hear how much you complain about this? And it wasn't like it was some novel idea, but I decided like that is something I'm going to outsource. And I got so much time back on the weekend. And, you know, it could be something similar to that, but in another area. You determine where you're comfortable. And, you know, are there areas where you can outsource? And maybe, you know, depending upon lifestyle, maybe you can't really afford to outsource anything. And that's okay as well. But what you can do is negotiate with yourself and say, hey, I'm spending 16 hours a week in TB. I can give myself that time back for a six-month period in the name of my dream. 
and you're just becoming aware and that you make some decisions on what time are you going to reallocate to actually drive traction against your 90 day goals. When I did this exercise with a mom uh, years ago who she actually wanted to be an author, major top executive at a big media company. She came to me and she said, Tanisha, I did this exercise. And I kid you not. I only have 30 minutes of time that I can reclaim. And it was like at a crazy hour at like 1130 to midnight. And I, I remember saying, Michelle, this can't be true. She was like, nope, it's true. Between a working mother, taking the kids, running my division, because she was very, very senior, taking the car home at night. She took a car service from the city to Jersey. She said, the only thing I can give myself is 1130 to midnight. And that was it. But this lady was so determined. She said, but I'm going to take the 30 minutes. I kid you not. She took that 30 minutes, reallocated towards that goal of writing a book. And she wrote her book. Like she, I went to a conference and I, I never forget. I went into a gift bag and you know how some of the gift bags, they give you different books. And so I heard someone say, oh man, I got Michelle's new book. And I was like, they couldn't have said they got Michelle's new book. Went in the gift bag. It was in the hand. I ran up to her. I was like, Michelle. She was like, I used my time. I reclaimed my time. I wrote it and I self-published and here it is. That is amazing. Also, I have to say the whole time you're doing the example, I'm like, you have to fold the laundry while you're watching Netflix. No, I'm, just <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally oh, kidding. That's a better use of time. Where can we you look- become more efficient? <laughs> exactly. No, we love the outsourcing. I think it's so important. And yes, it, there are different phases in your life where you may or may not be able to do that. But really asking yourself deeply, like, do I need to be the one doing this or could I not? I'm so glad that you, you know, promote that as well and that it, it worked for you and that you're not afraid to admit it because somehow in this society, sometimes we're scared to admit that. If I tell you some of the things I outsource, oh man, some of the things my grandma, I, I was a bit ashamed to tell her. She's like, that's just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so funny. Oh, well, this has been so much fun. Before you tell everybody where they can look up all this stuff, because I know everyone's going to want to download all the templates and check everything out. Let's share our love of the week for the week. Would you like to go first? I did warn you. I remembered this time. (laughs) Okay, I'll go first. My love of the week, as in the nut. Okay, let me tell you. So I told you that I was on this whole healthy eating thing, right? So I now, when I eat, I try to ground myself in like mindfulness where I'm really enjoying every bite. And I rediscovered a love affair with almonds that my husband is looking at me eating these almonds. He's like, should I be concerned? (laughs) So almonds by far is my love of the week. I love it. It's simple pleasures. Interestingly, my four-year-old like snuck into the pantry and was eating almonds the other day. So yeah, they're just like the theme. Well, mine's going to be like a, a 180 from that, but I never read science fiction, but I just finished a book called Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Higgins. And it, I think it's Becky Higgins. Becky, hold on. It's right here. <laughs> Ooh. Not Becky Higgins. That's a stationary designer. I was like, that didn't sound right. It's Becky Chambers. And it's about a non-binary monk and a robot. And it's set in the future. And it's amazing. So it's my love of the week. (laughs) I got to grab it. That sounds good. (laughs) It is. And especially if you're not like normally sucked into science fiction, 
this is like a good a good entry in. And apparently the the sequel's coming out. So gonna order that. All right. Tell our listeners where they can find you and also the specifics about your book, because I know that that I'm super intrigued and excited to read it. Well, one, I just want to thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed this conversation with you and I pray that it also was enjoyable for all of the listeners. For the listeners, you can stay in contact with me on social at Tanisha J. Warner, primarily on the IG channel is where I'm most engaged. So I would love to hear from you all. And then as far as the book, this is a perfect timing. It's January, 2022. I tell you the big stretch is a dreamer's blueprint. And if you want to put yourself in a boot camp, a dreamer's boot camp, if you want to put yourself in a boot camp to achieve towards your vision this year, it will be perfect for you. And you can go to thebigstretchbook.com to even start downloading some of the exercises. And that is there for no fee at all. If you find those exercises enjoyable, you can get the book anywhere books are sold. And uh, I encourage you, you know, grab it. It's time to stretch. It's 2022. Life has really taught us over the past two years that life is now. And it's truly my desire to see you live a life where your dreams become reality. I love it. Thank you so much. And I will put a link to all of these references in our show notes. So if you're on your podcast app listening right now, just look at the notes and you can find her on Instagram and find the details of the book. So thank you so much, Tanisha. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, we were back. That was a great interview with Tanisha Warner. We are looking at a question now about energy. So this listener writes that she loved our uh, couple's relationship during the busy years episode. Well, thank you. As she says, she hopes we release a second round of it with tips, tricks, and planning for making it happen. Hmm. <laughs> I guess we're going to have to figure that out once Sarah and I figure that out too. So anyway, she says she would love if we could share some wisdom on increasing energy. She is a morning person, but she drags in the evening. She's a corporate attorney who has long work days. She wakes up at 5.30 to meditate, do a short workout, starts work about 6.37, have early meetings with an overseas team, works until 4, and then she is on with the kids because her husband takes the morning shift. However, it seems that she feels like she does the bare minimum of dinner, driving to activities. She is not doing things that she thinks she would like to, such as being on top of homework, playing board games and puzzles, talking with them. Do you have any tips, she says, about my increasing my energy level in the evening? Because she really wants to be a better mom and be more patient and calm in the evenings. So, Sarah, any, any suggestions for our listener? I will first begin with some significant commiseration. I am similar in that I have a lot of energy in the morning and nights are harder for me. It's just my personal rhythm and I'm not sure there's that much we can do about that. So I just wanted to say that. And the other thing I'm going to commiserate with is the quote, being on top of homework. This is really, really hard and seems very kid dependent. You know, I have one kid where homework doesn't get done unless there's like you're standing over them. And then I have another kid where I don't even know what the homework is most of the time, but it apparently is all getting done. So I just completely understand when that feels like a large burden at the time of night when you have multiple other kids to pay attention to and you just don't feel up to it. And I don't have a great solution. Honestly, probably in the future, at some point, there may have to be a little bit of outsourcing of the homework piece, maybe a tutor if that continues to be such a drain because that can drain your entire night if that's a battle. 
And I think you have to give yourself credit for even trying sometimes because it can be really, really hard. So I do want to ask if you could perhaps lean into some quieter or easier activities at night and still call it a win, like snuggling together with a kid's podcast or having the kids read an audiobook or coloring together. I love playing with planners and pens and it's not quite doable yet because of Genevieve's not quite ready. But I mean, if I had just the older kids, we would totally be like having coloring time together and I would be truly enjoying it. I also wanted you to think about what time you go to bed because if you're not getting enough sleep, like if you're actually staying up till 10, I don't know. I mean, maybe you don't, but and waking up at 5.30, that may or may not be enough sleep to, for you or, or till 11. And so trying to make sure you are getting enough sleep for yourself is important. And then finally, just let go of unrealistic energy expectations. Like what ideal mom are you comparing yourselves with? You mentioned um, being on top of homework, playing board games and puzzles, talking with them. I mean, it sounds good, but that's a lot. And I'm sure you are talking with them anyway, whether or not it's like a, you know, specific questions being answered one-on-one or just talking on the way to the various activities and before bed. You're helping with homework to the extent that you can. And if board games have to be more of a weekend activity, I think that's okay. You're still winning. I just think there sounds like a lot of pressure. And I understand that because sometimes I put my own pressure there. But I think you find a routine that works for you and don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things I would say is one, um, you know, steer them towards activities that you enjoy, um, and which could be like, we all have silent reading time for 30 minutes together. Or we're going to watch this TV show that mommy likes. Or, you know, if there's something that you do actually enjoy as a, as a hobby, I don't know, you know, people say, I should do board games. If you don't like board games, you're not going to do board games. But maybe you like something else that, you know, you could uh, walk around the neighborhood if you live somewhere where that's possible and you're not in like six feet of snow right now. But, you know, something that you would actually enjoy. And then come up with the plan ahead of time. Because energy is a lot about how we manage it. And so what happens is that you come home after this tough day of work And then you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. And you're not going to be able to both figure it out and execute it, especially if the kids are whining about it. But if you know going in that, like, this is what we're going to do. We've told the kids, like, you're in charge. Like, you can do whatever you want. And you will manage your energy with that goal in mind. So you're like, I am going to play, you know, three rounds of Uno if you've decided that's something that you wouldn't mind and you think would be fun. Then you go into the evening saying, I'm going to do that. You do it. You get it done. You feel good about yourself. Um, whereas if you, you know, come home and you're like, I don't know what we're going to do. We're just sort of biding our time till bedtime. Let me think of something we'll do. Like, that's a lot harder because um, you haven't sort of preserved the energy for that one specific thing with that goal in mind. And then finally, I would say, like, you don't know what the kids are liking and what they're remembering, too. The uh, Cup of Joe, which is a, a blogger, a famous blogger, um, has keeps running this post on her Instagram feed from a reader who has a very funny take on this. So this woman has created a a story where she tells us that her fondest memories from childhood were when her single mom would do these things that she called little things dinners. And so she cuts up bits of stuff, like whatever they had in the fridge, I guess, apples, cheese, bread, meat, whatever, you know, was there. And they would eat it in front of the TV together. And the kid thought this was just the most amazing thing, right? Like, oh, I love the little things dinner. Ooh, are we going to do the little things dinner tonight? And so, you know, eventually she's grown up and she's like, you know, having a chat with her mom and is reminiscing about these amazing nights when they would do the little things dinner. And of course, her mom is just like shocked. And she's like, those were the nights that I failed. I was too tired to cook anything. I was too tired to talk to you. So I just cut up whatever was in the fridge and turned on the TV. And that was her kid's fondest memories from childhood. So 
the point is like, you don't know. There are things that they might like that you're not like the good mom thing and in, in quotes, but you know, if they're fun, if you're having fun, if you're enjoying your each other's company, it could be great. So just a thought to keep in mind. Anyway, this has been Best of Both Worlds. Um, we've been talking about 90-day goals. Great topic, especially this time of year. We will be back with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.